0: The front of your insert in Galatians 5, the the passage has been navigational for us for a few weeks now. It's come to known as the fruit of the Spirit, or maybe better, the description of the singular fruit of the Spirit in multiple dimensions. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is No law. Gentleness today. Part of the work the Holy Spirit is committed to cultivating in his people. So I just want to ask a beginning question, maybe an uncomfortable question. Do you consider yourself a gentle person? Maybe a better question. Do others consider yourself a gentle person? Are you gentle externally in how others experience you? And are you gentle internally, right? What you know to be true (laughs) about how you're considering others. Is gentleness a growing reality in your life? Uh, Good news, that's the commitment of the spirit as we yield to him. Uh, And I'm mindful that in a congregation like this, it is almost certainly true that I am not the most qualified person to speak on gentleness. And if you know me, you would probably agree. Um, if we're talking about the complete expression of gentleness in our life, frankly, this might have been a better sermon for Taylor to preach, honestly. Now, I'm more encouraged if I look at my own life with a long process of where the Lord has taken me. I'm encouraged at that, though there are miles and miles to go. I tend, and I also then tend to be more gentle with the people who are closest to me than people who are a little bit farther away which makes typically for a pretty good family life, and then sometimes some professional distress, um, public distress. But I suppose if you have to err on one side, that's a better side to err on. Um, But you have your own story of gentleness. I know that. And it's all wrapped up in your own personality, um, in your background, in your sin patterns, in the ways others have sinned against you. Uh, Sometimes we cultivate the ability to be externally gentle with others but internally hostile. So we have to have some really honest conversations with ourselves and be radically honest about ourselves. So I may not be the most qualified person to speak about gentleness. You may be more so or less so. But whatever the case, there is nobody more qualified to speak about gentleness than Jesus himself. So, let's let him talk for a moment about gentleness and one who struggles in that path will then seek to unfold that for us for a few more minutes. So, if you would be willing to stand for the reading of God's word, Megan's going to read to us Matthew 11:20 through 30, Megan. Matthew
1: 11 then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and S- said Sidon, <laughs> they, would have be- they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. I mean, you may be seated. Here's what we're driving at today. Gentleness is cultivated in us as we personally experience the gentleness of Jesus to us. Gentleness is cultivated in us as we personally experience the gentleness of Jesus to us, And if you are in Christ, that's the intention of the Spirit for you. No matter where we're starting. Right, so it's hard to compare like, who's more gentle because really it's like, where have you come from? And what are you unlearning? Uh, and I would hasten to add that this is done so in an ungentle world. Now I know every generation thinks it's the worst at something like it's worse now than it ever was. Last week Taylor's like if we have a crisis of faithfulness and it's probably right. But as I think of gentleness, I think wow, we have a kind of an ungentle culture in lots of ways. The temperature of our culture, the thermostat maybe is not set on gentle necessarily. Especially if you're inclined to be involved in social media or listen to talk shows or whatever news media. Rather I think typically the culture setting is on criticism. Or harshness or mockling, mocking or canceling or destruction or character assassination like one tweet at a time. Right? That's the setting that our culture tends to be set on. Right? Delighting in bad news about the opponent, whoever that is, your other group or tribe or family or movement that you're not in. Somebody does something stupid or terrible, something bad happens to them, you're like secretly happy about that. We call that harshness. Um, And that is the setting of our culture, but by the grace of Jesus, guys, not so with you. By the grace of Jesus, (laughs) not so with you. In our own flesh, it is so with us, but by the grace of Christ, not so with us and not so with me. I wanna get at this by asking three simple questions. What is gentleness? How do we learn it and where is it exercised? What is gentleness? How do we learn it and where is it worked out? And please understand I am saying this to you as a stumbler in this reality but we all have a great and gentle Savior that's willing to teach us. Just as an overview of this passage Megan read for us, Jesus begins by actually criticizing and challenging these three Israelite cities, Capernaum, uh, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. These are places he preached but got a cold reception, and of all places, these Jewish cities should have known. They had had all the promises. They had the Old Testament. They they were ready for a Messiah, and they give him a cold reception because he wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for a powerful king and one who had forced the law down people's throats. And he said, you know, if I had done the miraculous things that showed my Messiahship in these other cities like Tyre, Sidon, and even Sodom, they would have responded better to me than even you. Therefore, it would be more tolerable in the day of judgment for them than for you. He's using hyperbolic language, but that's what he's getting at. And then he praises God. He thanks his father that the reality of who he is has been, has been hidden from the wise and learned. Now, that's not what God calls them. It's what they call themselves. Now, if you call yourself wise and learned, there's a word for that, arrogant, right? <clears throat> I'm a wise and learned, right? That's, that's what he's saying, the wise and learned, those who think they are wise in their own eyes, who are wise in their own eyes and think they are wise, they've rejected me, but you've revealed it to children, right? Children, those who, uh, not necessarily little kids, that would be included, but those who take Jesus simply for who he is and who are definitely aware of their limitations, No matter what child is out there, they know they are a child. They know they're limited. And they take Jesus seriously. And Jesus is like, praise you, Father, because you've revealed who I am to those who will take me simply and seriously. And then he says these well-known words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Your translation might say weary and heavy laden. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The religious leaders of that age had taken the Old Testament law, which was good, then they'd added to it and then multiplied it. And so in the midst the spirit of what it was, And then they made it burdens that were not possible to bear and laid it on the backs of common people, and it was weighty. You might say, we could call it pejoratively, it was an excessively religious culture. Nobody wants to live in an excessively religious culture, I don't think, with all the law, right? What you must do, laws about what you must do, laws about what you must not do, either stated or unstated, laws about how you may avoid guilt and shame, laws about how to be okay. It was a burden and the people were wearily laboring under it and this is what life by law does. It sucks life from you right it makes us weary if we seek life by obeying a law we will become worn down and i think all law does this by the way if we think life comes from it or if we can make our way by simply obeying law and it looks different in different cultures so to review two big problems one we are actually weighed down by our own sin and our frailty and the sin and brokenness and heat of life in this world and then we tend to multiply laws of what ought to be done and ought not be done, whether it's related to sin or not. They lived in an excessively religious culture. Now, I would like to make a contention that the culture we live in is no less religious than the culture of the first century. It is just as religious. It's just that the laws have changed. And we know this because we, we, we see the way that people who break whatever cultural law is are treated Criticism, slander, mocking, canceling, because somebody's broken a law. Not a Bible law, just another law people made up. Okay, so we can be weighed down by laws of culture that revolve around something like, you must be, thou shalt be, you shall be approved of by this crowd. Now, it's different for different people, right? But oftentimes, we're walking around like, we shall be approved of by this crowd. Maybe it's this group at work. Maybe it's this group at school. Maybe it's this cool group on the internet. Maybe whatever. But you shall be. That's a law. I shall be approved of by fill in the blank. That's a law. I shall look the right way. That's a law. I shall be thin but not skinny. That's a law. Wait, no. Strong is the new thin. No, that's the law. You should be strong, but not bulky. That's the new law. It's impossible to live by. You shall be. You look in the mirror. Most look in the mirror and say, I shall be something that I'm not. And you feel bad that this part of your body is not flat enough or it's too round or something like that. It's a law. That's all it is, is a law. You shall have the right opinion. You shall have the right opinion. Nobody wants, so what's your opinion on what's going on in Israel right now? Huh, nobody wants to say, because they don't know what the right opinion is. What crowd am I in? Because I must have the right opinion in the right crowd, it's the law. You must say the right words in the right way. You must never have a public blunder. Anybody eating it smashed in Irvington? Anybody eating it smashed? Come on, don't be ashamed. It is good food, I'm telling you all. I mean, the sweet potato fries, okay. A different sermon, but uh, praise God for taste buds and and places like Smash. I've noticed, I've been in there, let's say more than once, but uh, every time I've been in there, there's a TV, one of the TVs is always, multiple TVs are always playing fail videos. Do you know this fail? let just constant over and over people doing things that they're embarrassed by, and now it's on the internet, and Millions of people are seeing this and there's a whole TV station devoted to fail videos. And then I went to El Loco downtown at 22nd Delaware. They have the same thing going on everywhere, 24-7. Fail, fail, fail. You're a public failure. You're a public failure. What does that do to the psyche of a people? I don't want to fail publicly. I'm terribly afraid of failing publicly. You shall not fail publicly. It's a law. It's a religious culture that births something like that. These are laws of culture that weigh people down. It could be... um, the law of following your own heart. You must follow your own heart. That's the Disney law. Or more recently, you must be authentic to yourself. You must be true to yourself. Like We don't even know ourselves. How do we be true to ourselves? Like when they'll wake up and next Wednesday I'm a different person. How do you be true? It's a burden. I'm, oh, I have to be true to myself. It's a law. It's weighty. Uh, It could be laws of our own making. My life must go this way. I've got the plan for my life. It has to go the way. It shall go this way. That's a law. I shall have security. I shall have success. I shall have applause. I shall not under any circumstances have difficulty or hardship. That's a law that I will live by. My kids must accomplish X, Y, and Z and must not do this publicly. That's a law. I must not have uncertainty about anything. That's a law. Okay? Now, these weigh us down. We can multiply these, and we are unique. You know, As good individualistic Americans, we m- multiply individually our own laws. It doesn't change the fact of what it does to our soul. We become weary and heavy laden. On top of the reality that our own sin weighs us down. Our own sin, our own ability. What does Jesus say to all of this? One word here in the English come. Come to me, and I will give you rest from all of that. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Isn't the craziness and the chaos? and the pressure and all the anxiety, guys, isn't that driven by some kind of law? I shall do this, have this, be this, and it's not working and it's pressuring me and it's weighing me down and it's causing me anxiety. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And there's one reason why he says this, I am gentle of heart. I am gentle of heart. What is gentleness? The Baker Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, that's a mouthful, says this. i put this in your insert there. Gentleness, biblically gentleness, is sensitivity of disposition and kindness of behavior founded on strength and prompted by love. Gentleness is sensitivity of disposition and kindness of behavior founded on strength and prompted by love. And Jesus says, that's my heart. In the the Hebrew mind, the heart was the center of being. It was the central, like life-giving core of who we are. We might say the our essence. I think that's a rough, yeah, maybe, right? The heart is the center. There's one time, one time in all of Scripture, this scripture originates with God, is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3, through the pens of prophets and apostles and epistle writers and the wisdom writers. God, originates with God, not one word is in here that he doesn't intend to be in here. So he delivers to us this inscripturated reality of who he is. One time in this whole text called the scripture, he talks about his own heart jesus does the one and only time he talks about his heart what does he say about his heart the core of who he is he says i am gentle and i am lowly or humble of heart that's the only time jesus talks about his own heart that it should be a striking reality to us not that he's harsh and demanding not that he is crushing or condemning or distant or uncaring not that he's nice he is gentle of heart And I would just ask you, as we think about gentleness, do you know Jesus this way? If not, come. That's what he says. Have you forgotten that Jesus is gentle? Maybe you've been in Christ for many years, but never have given yourself to to the risk of believing that. Come, come. On the front of your bulletin or your worship booklet, I wanna draw your attention to this, is a quote from a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. A couple years, ago, this came out in maybe 2020. Big push, it's won a lot of awards for good reason. A lot of times popular Christian books are like, eh, that's so great. This is not one of those. If you don't have one, I want you to leave today with it. They're on the back table there where you got your, your worship booklet Um, if you have somebody in your life you want to give a gift to that will be blessed by that take one and give it to them serious they're right there take them Um, we bought them as a church we want to get them out Um, here's what Dane says there's a little typo in here It made through our editorial process uh, unscathed uh, which was me okay Uh, Dane Orland writes gentle and lowly this according to his own testimony testimony is Christ's very heart. This is who he is, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. Now, not to be mistaken, this is not who he is to everyone indiscriminately. This is who he is for those who come to him, who take his yoke upon them, who cry to him for help. Gentle and lowly does not mean mushy and frothy, but for the penitent or the repentant, his heart of gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins and foibles and insecurities and doubts and anxieties and failures. For lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts toward others, Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. He can't ungentle himself toward his own any more than you and I can change our eye color. It's who we are. Do you know Jesus this way? This is your savior. Now, some of you may be nervous and think, well, if you talk about Jesus this way, gentle and lowly, gentle, 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 won't it just make room for people to sin if they know he's gentle? And the only response I had to that is like, do you think harshness is a motivating reality? It's the very gentleness of Christ that teaches us to follow him, that teaches us that his way is the good way. Sin enslaves, harshness enslaves, the gentleness of Jesus sets us free, gentle. So I do, again, a little commercial for gentle and lowly. If you don't have it, I would encourage you to read it. it, it I've been through it a few times with a few different groups of people. It's every time I, come, I go through it, I'm like, I'm enriched again. Let me go through a couple things what gentleness does not mean, okay? Gentleness, think about this, because Jesus, is it's this gentle, Jesus' heart. What else is Jesus? If Jesus is also this, it, you know, it, it's in line with gentleness. So gentleness does not mean weakness, You can't reasonably read the Gospels, really. And look at Jesus' life, what he says and what he does, and think, this is a weak person. (laughs) No no chance. So gentleness does not mean weakness. Gentleness does not mean being shy about the truth. Gentleness does not mean being timid may mean being reserved and you don't have to have the last word on everything. Your opinion doesn't have to be, you know, the loudest one. But it doesn't mean being timid, especially when courage is called for. It doesn't mean being unwilling to say or do hard things. Gentleness is compatible with all those things. We know that because we see all those things in the life of Jesus. He's strong. He's bold. He's courageous. He says and does hard things and challenges people to life. And he's gentle. It does mean, okay, there's, uh, linguists tell us that of of all these uh, words in the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness is the hardest one to translate to English because it's not actually a one-for-one word. In Old English, we use the word meek, and it makes its way into our Bibles, but for some reason, that turns into the word weak or mousy. I don't know why that is. It doesn't mean that. The Bible said Moses in Numbers 12 was the meekest man in the whole earth at the time. Moses, the lead, the the general (laughs) was meek, okay? So it does mean not being harsh or destructive. It means not being harsh or destructive, particularly if we have some power or authority. There uh, have been two Isaiahs born in the New City Church in the last two weeks, which I think is pretty cool. It means the Lord saves. Uh, Isaiah Spencer and Isaiah Sneathan. So Coulter and Claire. Had Isaiah, well, Claire had Isaiah, uh, Luther, and uh, I got a picture from them of Coulter holding Isaiah, a little tiny baby. Is Coulter here? Not not for this service. You mean Coulter? Like, he's not super tall, but he's kind of a wide dude. Like, he's, I think you could call Coulter burly. He's kind of a big, strong guy, and like, got the big hair, you know, beard and everything like that. And here's, he's holding Isaiah, and like, he's engulfing this little baby, right? Just like, that baby is protected. Culture is being gentle with him. He's far stronger, hundreds and hundreds of times stronger than this baby. And he's using that strength to protect that baby. He's using strength to be gentle with that baby. He'll manipulate that baby into different positions for that baby's good. But he'll use his strength for that child. That's a good picture of gentleness. Not being harsh or destructive. Not using strength to destroy or to be harsh. It means delighting and caring for the other, even if we're in opposition to them. It means understanding the weakness of another and bearing with it. It means being approachable. It means being approachable. My kids used to say, Dad, you got to smile more because you don't look nice when you don't smile. <laughs> um. It doesn't look like you like people. Like he used to wear a goatee, too. They really said it then. Um, are you approachable? I'm saying I'm, not the, I'm, I'm struggling here, right? Sometimes when you have definite opinions and definite arguments about things and definite convictions, it means you can't be approachable. There's got to be a way to be confident in the truth and be approachable. Are you approachable? Don't ask yourself. <laughs> ask those around you. It means we deeply respect the dignity of others as made in the image of God, even if we're disagreeing with them. This is a person made in the image of God. It means we ab- avoid blunt, angry, and abrupt speech. Uh, though our speech can be challenging sometimes and wisely provocative, it need not be blunt or harsh or angry. It means we don't degrade another even if that person has done something that's degrading We're gentle. It means we don't crush or attack others externally or internally, okay, internally. Can we just talk about internal gentleness for a second? Have you ever had a conversation with someone, a harsh conversation with someone who's not in the room? You've had it in your head. Or maybe you've had it out loud, and nobody else is in the room. You've had it in the shower with someone and you're the only one in the shower. Right? I don't know why I'm such a sinner in the shower. I'm thinking, I'm angry, like, wait, by the time I get out, it's okay. But you ever, have you ever done that? I know all of you have done that. Maybe not all the time. Maybe only, let's say you only do that once a day. Okay, fine. But you quickly dismiss it. Maybe it's a 10 minute conversation in your head, all together. Like 30 seconds here, a minute and a half here, 10 seconds there. All together, 10 minutes. Maybe. Now, let's, let's even cut it in half. Five minutes. Only five minutes a day. Am I sort of ungentle with others internally? What does that do to us? Just five, just five, I'm not talking a lot, just five minutes a day. What does that do to us by the time we retire, let's say? From the time we can really start thinking really ungentle thoughts, maybe five years old. Now I know we can do that earlier. I had kids too. Um, Five minutes a day of ungentle thinking for 60 years. That's all. That's 1,825 hours of harsh thinking about others, meditating on harsh things to say and worst case scenarios. That's 76 solid days. It'd be like for 24 hours a day, for 76 days just thinking harshly about someone. What would that do to us? Or if you went to work, it was your job, you go to work for 46 weeks and all you did, it's eight hours a day, was sit and think harshly about people. That's all that happens when we do that five minutes a day. And Jesus is offering to teach us gentleness of heart. Um, It means our interactions with others anticipate the coming kingdom. Because when all things are restored, gentleness will be the law of the land. Harshness will be removed when the kingdom comes. That is part of the reason I think it says the meek or the gentle will inherit the earth. Because when the restoration of all things come, that's that's the temperature of the culture. Gentleness, gentleness. That's what gentleness is. How is gentleness learned? Well, we're told here we come to him. We come to him. The sign of knowing the gentleness of Jesus is that we come to him and come to him often. We bring our sin and our ugliness and our failure to him. And we keep coming to him. I mean, quite simply, I mean, this is so simple. I could have just sat up here and said this and sat down. Maybe you wish I would. We learn gentleness as Jesus is gentle to us, and we know it. We know the gentleness of Jesus. It works in us, and it works out of us. What does he do with our anger, our frustration, our lust, our coveting, our complaining, our twistedness? He absorbs it. He absorbs it. He takes his strength and he uses it for us, not against us. He absorbs the penalty of it all, us all. He, all of it's penalty. We come to him. We take his yoke upon us. A yoke is something that harnessed oxen together. It did restrict them, but it gave them more power. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Oh yes, it's restricting, but it's a kind of restriction that is light and restful. It's a kind of restriction that when his lordship, when you, take it on, when you take my lordship on you, you say, oh, this is a, a lighter, freer life than not having your lordship on me. This is a life for which I was made. And part of that life for which we are made is gentleness, even in an ungentle world. And I think that gentleness really flows from a heart that is at rest in Jesus. If you think of the reason you're not gentle with people in your life, is it not related to something like making life happen, getting, imposing my own will or sustaining myself in some way? Think of the last time you were not gentle with someone close to you. Why did you do that? Was it not because you were trying to impose your will on history right then and there? And they were in your way of doing that. The soul that it's at rest in Christ saying, I don't have to do that. Because you, Jesus, are the, one, the Lord. I've taken that yoke upon me. You hold history. You hold me. Take my yoke upon you, he says. And then we pursue it. 1 Timothy 1, this is instruction to pastors, but it would work for everyone. He is, as for you, O oh man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It is something to pursue because it's challenging. It's okay to work hard at trying to be increasingly gentle. You know, it doesn't really happen by just like, um, fill me with gentleness. Okay, we know the gentleness of Christ and then we're in situations where we have to exercise gentleness. We pursue it that way. Where do we pursue it? Where is this worked out? I just took the places this word was used in the New Testament. First, it's it's worked out in the closest relationships. This is an insert here. Verse Peter 3, this is written, actually, this particular passage is written to wives married to unbelieving husbands. So the wife had become a Christian, the husband wasn't or was not yet. Peter writes, so this is a specific application, but I'm going to broaden out in a second. Peter writes, do not let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of hair and the putting off on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, before you say, what does that mean? Weak and mousy and shy and timid. Remember what we already said. That's not what gentleness means. (laughs) It means non-harsh. So your husband... Woman in 1 Peter 3 may be uncouth, <laughs> unpleasant, non-responsive to your spiritual interests. It would be easy to despise him, to close your heart off to him, but remember Christ's heart for you. Resist. Resist. But gentle spirit. Now this could go also for husbands to wives, of course, in our closest relationship. Gentle spirit. Toward your wife, gentle toward your friends, gentle toward your children. I I don't know how many marriages have been derailed by harshness. I would say almost every marriage I've ever seen that got derailed, harshness was certainly a part of it. It's no doubt about it, harshness. Somehow we become convinced that those closest to us, we can treat the worst. And just take it for granted, maybe because they have no choice, right? Until they exercise a choice, till they close their heart off to you. Um, husbands Can I talk to the husbands. resist the temptation to harshness to your wives. If you have been harsh, repent. I'm calling you to repentance if you've been harsh with your wives. Do it this afternoon, please. She may have sinned against you. There is not a reason to be ungentle with her. Wives, there's not a reason to be ungentle with your husband. If you have, repent, ask for forgiveness, transact this afternoon. We, the reason we're told about gentleness is because we sin in not being gentle. Everybody in some ways is guilty, maybe not. It's a second, but we know we are. So if you think I'm talking about you, I am. Maybe not right now, but eventually i talk about myself too. This is a real reality. Gentleness in parenting. It's a strong discipline rooted in love. So a form of harshness is sort of existing at the level of anger, like anger is just right here all the time, and aggravation with your kids. So like we're just like a gas in, search, gas in search of a spark. And that kid's going to give me a spark eventually, right? Um, and often ends with screaming and yelling in exasperation. That's harshness. Another form of harshness, according to Scripture, is refusing to discipline children. Proverbs 13.24 says if... <laughs> there's a phrase that worked its way into um, American language, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not what the Scripture says. It says spare the rod, hate the child. You want to hate your kid? Don't discipline them. That's what the Bible says. It's a not disciplining your kid isn't just saying, oh, isn't that cute? It's being harsh with them, right? So we can be harsh with our kids in different ways. We speak tenderly, even if firmly. Being tender, even when disciplining them. This is hard. I know it's hard. Um, even if it's corporal discipline. Now, these are not impossible things to bring together. It may be challenging. You may feel like you don't have a, you're not equipped for that. Fine. Talk, come after. I will, we'll get you some equipping on that. Discipline and gentleness is, are not mutually exclusive in parenting. Okay? One of the best gifts we can give our friendships and our parenting and our marriage is gentleness. Uh, and so maybe, it's, maybe we do an audit. Maybe we do an audit of gentleness, if we dare. We ask our closest friends or our spouse or even our kids, How can I do a better job being gentle? Because uh, it happens in closest relationships. And the good news is the Spirit wants to work right there and bring life right there. It's really great news. It works in the church in the family of God, correctively and constructively. Galatians 6, brothers, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you, plural, who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, each individually, singular, lest you too be tempted. You all together bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this is more of an art than a science, but what do you see? What do you do if a brother or sister of the church is caught in a sin? Caught can mean two things there. It means like something they've been hiding has come out and they're not dealing with it or it's a repeated occurrence that they're predisposed to. What do you do? You love them enough not to ignore it is what it says. You should do something. It's an imperative. It's stronger than the English should. That you must do something. You must restore them, which means bring them back to wholeness, which would be a call to repentance and repair of relationship. But not just restore them anyway, restore them in a particular way. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. That's the culture of those interactions in the body of Christ gentleness. And so here it cannot mean weakness or shying away from the truth. So you do confront, you do bring truth, and above all, you do bring it in a gentle manner, in a humble manner, lest you too fall into sin in this whole process. Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So that word meekness is the same word as gentleness. Here we can see this can increasingly mark a culture in the church. Now I think New City's come a long way and I think there's miles to go because we're still sinners and we still are called to bring our own sin to the gentle savior. And that as we do that, that will work itself out horizontally in us. Uh, And think about what's the, if if he's calling the church to meekness and gentleness, what's the context in which that has to be worked out? The context is where there's an option not to do it. Uh, When another person is, you're gentle with a person when they're harsh. You're gentle with a person when you're tired or when they're crossing our will in some way or doing something we don't like. When there's an opportunity for harshness, that's when gentleness is required. So it's kind of assuming there'll be things in the church, in the church community or your family that like are hard and you'll have an opportunity to be harsh. And that's exactly the spot where we gentle other people. Uh, Finally, and this is on the back of your insert, in the world, we're gentle as well as God's people. Evangelistically and correctively, 1 Peter 3. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Or be troubled, those persecuting you. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. When sharing Christ, the reason for our hope, what is the attitude toward the other? Person, gentleness and respect. But what if they're mocking? What if they're critical? What if they think you're stupid? Oh, well, then you have gentleness and respect. That's when. When you have an opportunity for harshness. When the world would say, that would make sense. They criticize you, you should criticize them back. They were so harshly to you, you should do it back. That's when we're gentle. And it's really, I think, like a potential superpower for a Christian in the right frame of mind. Because our identity and our history and our future is simply not bound up with or related to anything anyone else says or does. Our identity, our history, and our future is completely bound up with everything Jesus says and does. And he's already gone to the cross for us, raised us up with him, and said, you're mine. So it's, we are so free to exercise this superpower of gentleness at rest in Christ, no matter the harshness that comes at us from the world. And even when we're correction, and look for 2 Timothy 2, Almost done. And the Lord's servant, he's talking to pastors again, must not be quarrelsome. (laughs) The Lord's servant must not be on Twitter. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is talking about correcting, it seems like leaders or people who are leading people in the church astray. This is heretics threatening people's eternal life and they're demonically inspired and Paul says to this young pastor, correct them with gentleness. 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 Not leave it uncorrected or unchallenged or don't say anything to keep the peace. Correct them strongly, clearly, truly with gentleness, with gentleness. I know there are tons of Christian leaders out there who don't do that. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a a well-known Christian leader who every year has what he, he calls a no quarter November on his blog and talking and everything it means he gives no one quarter it means he has license to speak harshly about any of his opponents I was reading this and it doesn't say correct your opponents with gentleness unless it's November (laughs) just because you can give something a label and justify it yourself doesn't mean it's right so then it's instructive like even those who are betraying the gospel the scripture's like deal with clearly, strongly, but gently. Be firm, but gentle. One of the great models of this died recently in my mind, Tim Keller. You may know Keller. This last book he wrote, Forgive, I think is, uh, I want to encourage you to, if you don't have this book, we don't have it out there, I don't think, but uh, it's worth the, I don't even know how, how much it is. It doesn't matter. It'd be worth it. Keller was in New York City, Manhattan, had very unpopular opinions for Manhattan. They were just basic traditional Christian opinions, right? uh, About things like sin, the sovereignty of God, sexuality, marriage, uh, gender roles, generosity, the lordship of Christ, hell, and personal autonomy. Basically, Keller just believed, as I said, everything Christians have believed forever. But he was doing it in Manhattan, and he was a public figure. And I don't think, never once did he back away from all of that truth. But never that I know of was he harsh with critics or those who defend him. So that even in his death, people like Nicholas Kristof and other writers who aren't believers would say, I had deep respect for him, though I disagreed with him. Not that having somebody say, I had deep respect for you is the goal. It's just like that's the fruit of being courageous and gentle at the same time. And then everywhere else, I'm over on time, but we're coming home here. Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to... Ru- this is the church. <laughs> Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. The Roman authorities? Yes. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Hey, good for a pre-election season. We're going to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The mercy and gentleness of Jesus to you, friend, equips you with power to be gentle to others. He's taken his gentle care and all of that strength and protected us and provided for us. And uh, as I was doing a little research for this sermon, I remember years ago writing down on my, one of my, il- I have illustration note cards, so I don't have to remember anything. I wrote them down about the story I read several years ago about a story that was in National Geographic about uh, a, a fire in Yellowstone National Park. And after the fire, the forest rangers were picking through the park and they found an osprey nest with um, a charred to death mother osprey. And, uh, but still in the nest were uh Uh, chicks that had been preserved the fire had come and the mother osprey had covered and at the cost of her own life absorbed the heat for those chicks and kept them alive and so preachers hear stories like that and like that's really good but the cynic in me says I don't think that's true (laughs) I want to fact check that sucker turns out not a true story I really wanted to use it you know why it's not a true story? Because when a fire comes, a mother osprey takes off. There's a point at which the heat can get turned up so much that gentle mother bird leaves. Not so with Jesus. There is no point. He endured the worst heat for us and absorbed it all because he's gentle with us. And he invites us now for the first time or for the hundred thousandth time to come to a gentle Savior. The picture of his gentleness is displayed in the bread and in the cup. This is an ongoing picture of the gift of Jesus' generosity and gentleness to us. If you are in Christ by faith, I want to pray and then invite you to come to this table.